0: believe that? We started 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 52, 53, Psalm 64. Time flies. It's absolutely amazing. And so we are in Psalm 64. And uh, before we actually get there, let me mention that I'm going to do a book signing at Barnes and Noble. Okay? It's going to be at Preston and Royal. And that's going to be on August the 24th. That is a Saturday at 2 o'clock. And I'm going to do a few readings from the book, say a few words, and then we'll have a book signing I so, uh, just wanted you to put that on your calendar if you're interested. 2 o'clock. Okay, ready? Now, Psalm 64 is about a secret campaign uh, to derail King David. Uh The word secret is actually used a couple of times, like in verse 2, it says, hide me from the secret plots. You see that? And again, the word secret is used in verse 4. They shoot in secret at the blameless, which would be King David. So this is a secret campaign to derail King David. And some one commentator, at least, who's very well respected, believes that this secret campaign Is being carried out by the source by sorcerers who are pronouncing curses and they're chanting and pronouncing incantations against King David and I he supports that by the words in verse 2 the last three words in verse 2 where it says workers of iniquity And he said that is a reference to sorcerers. Now, that's a minority view, okay? This is such a big scholar that his view is taken seriously. So just keep that in mind, that these people who are against, who are waging the secret campaign, could be sorcerers. Now, you know that God uh, condemns sorcery. But so what? (laughs) Does that matter to people, what God says? Uh, Even Jews were still involved in sorcery. It's hard to believe. They are involved in idolatry, weren't they? So uh, that's a possibility. That's not the view I hold, but I still think you need to keep it in mind. So here's how I'm going to outline this passage. Verses 1 through 6, I'm going to call this David's Prayer, in which he reveals the secret conspiracy. Okay, David's Prayer, where he reveals... (coughs) The secret strategy of the enemy. That's verses 1 through 6. Then verses 7 through 10, we're going to call this David's prophecy. Where he reveals God's solution to the problem. David's prayer, 1 through 6. David's prophecy, 7 through 10. Okay. So let's look at verse 1. Let's start off with this verse back. David cries out, Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation." Some of your Bibles say, in my complaint. Let me see whose Bibles say, in my complaint. Notice that. So we don't know whether uh, David is contemplating the situation or whether he's griping and complaining. But in either case, David has a problem. He's facing a difficulty. And he makes three requests. Okay, So we're going to look at those three requests. Look at request number one. Here's his request. Preserve my life. From fear of the enemy. Or the dread. My dread of the enemy. He's asking God to keep him. And protect him. Notice. It's not protect me from the enemy. It's protect me from the fear of the enemy. His problem is his state of mind. He's had enemies before. And he wasn't afraid. But suddenly he's dreading these plots of the enemy. So he's got an internal problem, and this is what he's asking God to deliver him from. Let me tell you, some of you need to be delivered from the fears that you have of plots, secret plots that you think people have against you, and some of them do have against you. So that's request number one. Important word there, by the way, in verse one, is the word from. Do you see that? Speaks of being delivered from, out from the fear of the enemy. Okay, look at request number two in verse two. <laughs> Hide me, now look at the word, from, you see that? It's the second from, second request. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. This is the basis of his fear. Uh, he doesn't know their plans. You know, if you know what somebody's going to do, not quite as fearful. But he doesn't know what they're conspiring. He doesn't have any spies inside of their camp. So when that happens, your imagination runs wild. I wonder what they're doing. And you think of all these different things, and you're fearful. So this would be what I would call the basis of his fears, is that they have these secret plots, and as a result, his mind wanders. But I want you to know something. Their secret plots are not hidden from God. Every time somebody thinks, I'm going to do some little sneaky thing. You plot, and you twist, and you turn. God knows it. It's like being open before him. But David, from a human perspective, he's sort of caught off guard. Request number three at the end of verse two. He says, hide me from. Notice there's the third from. You see that? Three froms. From fear, from secret plots, and now number three. From the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. In other words, this is a plot that is a rebel plot. They plan to, they plan to carry out the secret conspiracy. They're going to go into action, and the action is going to be overthrowing King David. And he's worried about it. Okay, So those are his three requests. Now, look at the weapons... That the enemy is going to use. Now this is very interesting. Look at verse 3. Who sharpen their tongue. Like a sword. Some translations say. Who wet. Whose translations say. Who wet their tongues. Not wet. W-E-T. Not like wetting your whistle. Not like getting a drink. Because your tongue sparks Wet. W-H-E-T. Now, when I was a kid, I had a wet stone. And I had a penknife. And I sharpened my penknife on the wet stone. Well, their weapons are not a knife. What are they sharpening there? In verse 3. They're sharpening their tongue. They've got a sharp tongue. And a sharp tongue cause a lot of damage, and it can bring down an entire empire. And so they are wedging, waging a secret campaign, and their weapons are a sharp tongue. And they're sharpening their tongue. You know, a lot of us will have a slip of tongue, say the wrong thing at the wrong time and regret it. But that's just a slip of the tongue. This isn't any slip guess what they're doing? They're sharp. They're preparing. They're thinking of ways, things to say. They're calculating. See, this is premeditated. So, and they're preparing, what sarcastic thing can we say today? What what rumor can we float today? How can we spin this story today? That sounds very contemporary. You know, these are the things that people do in governments. So they are preparing to say things that are intended to damage King David. And then it says this. Look at this. They bend their bows to shoot their arrows. And then it says, bitter words. See, their weapons are bitter words. You've seen, you've heard the statement: If looks could kill, if words could kill, these are what kind of words? Bitter words. Just as a person would tip, put their tip of the arrow in poison and shoot it into an animal or a person, and killing them within seconds because not of the wound but because of the poison, these people dip their tongues in poison. These are poisonous tongues. Venomous tongues. And notice it says they bend their bows. Do you see that? To shoot their arrows. Now, if you bend your bow, that means you are, look, taking aim. You don't just bend go like this and start shooting, do you? You take aim, and guess what? Their poisonous tongues, their venomous tongues, have a target. And that target is King David. And they're taking careful aim. And they're aiming those poisonous thumbs. King David. Uh, they're engaging in some sort of slander campaign. Telling lies about it. You know, Hitler did that. The story is called The Big Lie. Hitler said if you're going to tell a lie, tell a whopper. If you tell a little lie, it doesn't have power. It doesn't grab the imagination. It doesn't have force. Tell the big lie and everyone will buy into it. So his big lie was that the Jews were responsible for all the problems. And an entire nation gets behind that lie. Aimed at a certain people and you have a national revolution. And that's what these guys are doing. They're going to tell these big lies against David... And the government, in a sense, is going to be overthrown. And this is, this is their weapon. Now, it's interesting how, these, how they compare the tongue and these words to certain weapons. The tongue is like a sword. See that? And the arrows and the bitter words are like arrows. The tongue is like a sword. And that's something that you would use to fight up close. And arrows are something you would use at a distance. See? And so what they're doing is they are, even in even in his presence, even right, right where the king is, they'll, they'll come over and say, In other times, they just spread a rumor and it goes all around the nation. So these are their weapons. Their weapons are words. Flame. Look at the purpose of all this. That, look at that, that, So that in order that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Meaning the blameless one. And so David is the blameless one. They're not trying to overthrow him because he's like Morsi and a bad leader of his nation. As we had in Egypt. But... They are shooting their arrows in secret. Notice it's a secret campaign. At the blameless, which in this case would be King David. So how are they shooting? <coughs> They're shooting in secret. Wouldn't that how you shoot an arrow? Oh no, not if you're just aiming at a round target. But how about if you're shooting at a deer? You say, hey deer, come on out here. No, you get hidden somewhere, and you wait for the deer to come out, and you take the aim, <laughs> BAM! What you least expect? What do you think? What do you think? Oh, this is a nice place to graze. He's down. Boy. Uh, they're not aiming at animals. This is an ambush. This is the old cowboy ambush, you know, where somebody's up on the cliff and here comes the good guys around the bend, and they suddenly ambush catch him off guard. Just like you catch the deer off guard. Uh, suddenly David wakes up one day and there's a rumor mill going around. And they're trying to destroy King David. It's a sneak attack. And they're using words to frame this innocent man. of interesting, isn't it? And then look at what it says at the end of verse 4. It's very interesting. Suddenly they shoot at him. Suddenly, no chance to escape. Just like the deer. Suddenly, here he, hit, he doesn't even know what hit him. Not like you said, I'm giving you three to get out of here. One, two, three, and the deer runs off. You give him a running chance. No chance at all. They just do it suddenly, just like that. No chance to escape. No chance to fight back. They just blindside King David. At the end of verse 4, it says, and do not fear. They do it. Without regrets, without fear of reprisal from man or God. Uh, they think they can do it with impunity. They think they're going to be successful. You know, If you shot at a deer, what's the deer going to do? Even if you're missing, it's not going to go get a whole bunch of other deer to come back and beat you <laughs> up. You know that when you shoot at the deer, whether you hit him or you miss him, it's not going to be any consequence to you. And that's how it is. They think they can wage this secret campaign against David without reprisal from, from David because he's caught off guard. He doesn't even know what's going on. But God does. They're mistaken when they think that no one knows what's going on. And then look at the tenacity and the support they have. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. In this evil matter, rather, they encourage themselves. They, they they have moral support. They get together. It's like an AA meeting. You get together and you support each other. You know, they're only they're supporting themselves <laughs> in a evil matter. Uh, when somebody wants to give up, ah, I don't know what we should. Have. A guy says, "Come on, you know we said we were in this thing together. Let's go." So they are cooperating with each other. Now, if you knew somebody was planning to do something bad. Knowing you, you would try to discourage them from (coughs) doing it. You discourage them in this matter. I don't think you should say that about them. I'm going to wage this campaign. No, I don't think you should do that. But they encourage each other in the matter. So you can see they actually have support groups and networks working together regularly, meeting together regularly, encouraging each other in this matter. They talk of laying snares secretly they say, we'll see them. We're going to get away with this. We can lay these secret stairs. They won't be seen. and Their plans won't be seen. In the sense, they're, they're practical atheists. Uh, they don't believe God's going to do anything. They don't believe they're going to get caught. They believe David is going to step into the stair. And that's going to be the end of it. And they're going to succeed. And then it says this. And this is, verse 6 is the hardest verse actually to translate and make sense of. So I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. Say a word, and then I'll try to show you what another version says. Okay, another translation. New King James says, They devise iniquities. Colon. And now it's going to describe the iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Then David writes, both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. So, this translation seems to indicate that they they uh, have devised, planned all kinds of iniquities. They see it as a shrewd scheme. And that last part of verse 6, both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep, which indicates that uh, they are keeping these ideas to themselves, these are hidden plans, they never going to be revealed, and uh, they'll go undetectable. Uh, another translation has the beginning of verse 6 reading like this. Who can search out our crimes? And then it goes on to say, well, no one can because we've done them in secret and they're deep and hidden within our own thoughts and all. So either way, they don't expect to be found out. That's the bottom line. They don't expect to be found out. So this is David's prayer in which he reveals the enemy's strategy, part one. Part two, David's prophecy in which he reveals God's solution. So look at verse seven. But God. See that? That changes the whole thing will never be found out. Look at this. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Now this is interesting. Notice up in verse 3. They shoot arrows. Do you see that? Plural. Plural. Verse 7. God doesn't need a lot of arrows. He just needs one arrow. One word and they're finished so God will shoot at them with an arrow. Look at the end of verse 7. Suddenly they shall be wounded. Look back at the end of verse 4 about the enemy. Suddenly they shoot at him. They shoot at David. Well look how God responds at the end of verse 7. Suddenly they shall be wounded. God responds to them just as suddenly as they attack King David. And if Their plan is to suddenly shoot and attack King David, and he's caught off guard and he's surprised. Guess what? God's attack on them (coughs) will come just as much as a surprise as their planned attack on King David. In fact, God's going to do it first. Just caught off guard. Catch them by surprise. Now, just can imagine that? You're thinking, we're going to get away with this, and just like, that split. Second, the whole plane unravels. That ever happened before? In verse 8. So he shall make them stumble over their own tongue. They're going to be caught up in their own words. Now he doesn't tell us how that's going to happen. But somehow their words are going to come back to haunt them. Their words are going to boomerang. The words that they meant to use to destroy King David are going to be used to destroy them. Now we can get a glimpse of that now because of email. You decide you're going to... Trash somebody, and so you send an email and say all these negative things in secret. And then guess what happened? Your email is discovered, and it's your own words that destroy you. So this is what you have. It says that they are going to—he's uh, going to make them stumble over their own tongue. Look at NASA, you know, NSA, not NASA, NSA. Uh, listening in the conversation, so you have the uh, terrorists, and they are saying things on phones, and guess what? It's their words that end up getting them caught in the trap. Words that they meant to destroy the United States are the very words that NSA discovers and is used to destroy. Them talking to somebody just a week ago and I said on one of my Facebook things I said you need to join the kingdom revolution and this guy said probably NSA picked that up kingdom you know like you know, an Arab and Muslim kingdom revolution join the revolution he said I bet you your phone was tapped for a week or something <laughs> then they realized it was a spiritual thing you were talking about So, uh, yeah, I'm lucky I'm still here today. (laughs) So you can see how that can happen. And this is what David says, is that he prophesies that this is how God is going to handle the situation. And then he says, at the end of verse 8, All who see them that's the enemy shall flee away. All men shall fear Now, Back up in verse 4, at the end of verse 4, it says, suddenly they shall shoot him, and they what? Do not fear. But now guess what? All the people who were their friends are running from them and <laughs> say, we don't want to be with you. We recognize God's on David's side, and suddenly they do fear. Who do they fear? Well, they either fear human reprisal or they fear God. They realize that God's on David's side. So you can see how that's totally turned around. And then it says in the middle of verse 9, And those people who fear probably God, shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider His doing. Uh, so here we see the mass of people side with David. They recognize that David, that God is with David, and they start declaring the work of God, which means they start praising God, which is an important aspect of the psalm. So there are no practical atheists now. All the practical atheists are gone. Practical atheists is the person that says, I believe in God, but then really doesn't believe that God is going to answer any of the prayers that we said today. Our prayers really weren't reaching any higher. And you know, God didn't hear, doesn't care. You know, oh, we know it can, but we <coughs> can't do it. That's a practical atheist. A practical atheist is a well I can lie, I can do this, and I can get away with it. God's not going to do anything. So even though they say they believe in God, they do not believe He's a God who acts. So in essence, the practical uh, No practical atheist now. The enemy knows who's a God. Okay. And so do the rest of the people. God is acting. Then verse 10 says The righteous shall be glad in the Lord. And trust in him. The enemy was trusting in their own devices, but the righteous shall be glad in the Lord. Notice where their happiness is, it's in the Lord. And notice where their faith is, it is in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory, shall boast, shall praise the Lord. Uh shall brag on the Lord. Now, it's interesting that this prayer starts off, and this psalm starts off, in verse 1, in the first person singular. David says, hear my voice. He is the blameless one. But by the end of the psalm, notice it says, all the righteous. It's no longer just David. In heart shall glory. So God answers... David's prayer more than David asked for. David just asked to be freed from fear. Freed from a negative state of mind. And God does more than that. In a sense, he revives the entire nation. And all the righteous now begin to be glad and faithful and sing God's praise. So, whereas in part one, the enemy used their tongues to destroy do evil things, the righteous use their tongues to praise the Lord. Now, <clears throat> David writes this as a result of this affair that takes place. We don't know when these events took place. We don't know whether he wrote it while it was taking place or afterward, and he was reflecting upon it. But we know that this was Israel's songbook. And it was their song book, not only during the time of King David and King Solomon. Even when Nehemiah and Ezra and all those guys go back and they rebuild the temple. It's called the Second Temple Period. lasted all the way from about 500 to you know, 70 A.D., 500 B.C. to 70 A.D., about 600 years. This was the hymn book of Israel. Just as we sang the hymn, Victory in Jesus... All the righteous raised their voices and praised the Lord, so they would use this song as a song, and this would be a song when their nation was facing a similar situation. And these psalms were not just meant to be songs; they were meant to be lessons that were learned. And here you see there are two camps. There's camp number one. Now remember, these are God's people. The enemies here, in verses 1 through 6, are God's people. They're Jews. They claim to believe in God. They just don't like God's leader. They don't like God's choice of a leader. So that's camp number one. And they decide to take the bull by the horns, devise their own plans, and get him out of there. And we all have a tendency, God's people have a tendency to do that. We act as if there's no God. If he wants them out, he'll get them out. We think that we have to do something. And so we take the bull by the horns, and we decide the good end is for the king to be out of there, and the end justifies the means, and we will do these bad things in order to get that preferred end that we think is the best. And then you have a second camp, and that's the camp that just trusts God. And uh, the ones who trust God use their tongues not in a negative way, but use their tongues in a glad way to praise the Lord. And so in every church, okay, in every church, everybody claims to be a child of God. But in every church, (laughs) there are two camps. And there's those who work behind the scenes have the little secret meetings. Look, I've been in meetings. I've been in meetings where well I won't tell you the kind of meetings, but I've been in meetings where I thought it was an honest meeting. Where we were going to choose somebody for a position. And there were six or eight of us who were on the committee, we're going to make a nomination. But I later discovered that prior to the official meeting, There was a secret meeting. And they said, well, if street says this, then we'll come back with it. <laughs> you know? And I discovered it wasn't an honest process at all. Now, these are godly people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so, we have to always decide which camp we're going to be in. And this psalm is designed to teach us. Stay on the side, the side of the upright. Be an upright person. Be a blameless person. Be a person whose heart is Next week we'll pick up at some Lord help us to take these lessons to heart. Anytime we start to <coughs> say things that are that are intended to destroy another human being. Help us to remember this song. And help us simply to step back and say, Lord, we're trusting you. Help us to be people that are happy, not negative. Help us get rid of fear by trusting you like David did. And most of all, help us to be people who praise you and boast in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.